Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Inferno Podcast, Episode 5. I'm your host, Dana Scott, and my co-host... Patrick Batillo, a.k.a. Mr. Orange, the Suns' biggest super fan, who's always at the game, season ticket holder for many, many years, always dressed in orange at the games with the spiky hair. And uh, uh, it is a wig, obviously, right? <laughs> for those who don't is. know you. <laughs> All right. It is. I yeah. get that question often. <laughs> yeah, right. He's really bald, uh, but he's, he's, he's almost like uh, – uh, like a Jordan ball, you know, he's the Jordan to Suns super fans, really, uh, if you will. And today's episode is going to be about the four topics, national championship, and it starts today, April 4th, at uh, this evening. It takes place in New Orleans between North Carolina and Kansas. We're going to discuss uh, the, the greatest tournament games between the men's and women's, uh, namely North Carolina versus Duke for the men, Coach K's last game, and NC State versus UConn, who became the eventual runner-up in the women's tournament, losing to South Carolina on Sunday. And then we're going to discuss the Suns. Uh, their biggest threat is the Memphis Grizzlies, in my opinion, if they're the only team that can beat them in the playoffs. And who else should get Coach of the Year votes besides Suns head coach Monty Williams? And we're going to go from there. So to start, did you see the UNC Duke game this weekend? I did. Did well, it give you chills like leading up to this game and during the game? It was probably the best Duke-UNC game we're ever going to see, and especially on a grand stage like that on the Final Four. I mean, you can't get any better than that in Coach K's last game ending 50-50 of his career versus North Carolina, who he lost his first game ever to at Duke in 1980. And then the he lost in his last final home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium to his arch rival eight miles down the road and that historic Tobacco Road tradition that is, you know, Duke, UNC and Wake Forest and NC State, what have you. And then to have them face off in the final four, I mean, it, it just – you couldn't have a better storybook ending to Coach K's career even though he lost, right? Yeah, you hit it on the head. Besides, you know, he'd want the win and to be in the game tonight. But outside of that, uh, yeah, I mean, wow, what a game, what a career. Uh, everything he's done for basketball across, you know, generations has just been uh, truly special. So uh, I'm sure outside of, you know, getting that win – he, he's really enjoyed that journey. And that piece that was done by him uh, prior to the game earlier that day was was truly a very touching piece that was done as well. Right. I'm a UNC fan for life. I've always been a Carolina fan. The tradition of Jordan, Worthy, Phil Ford is the other great point guard from UNC back in the late 70s, led them to the 1977 title game against Marquette where they lost. And uh, you, you got names like Anton Jameson, Vince Carter, uh you got Hubert Davis, who actually led UNC, helped lead UNC to the 1991 Final Four when Coach K got his first title versus Kansas. And also, you know, Eric Montross and all these great names uh, that are up in the 
you know, the banners, Dean Smith, uh, the list goes on and on uh, about UNC and the great players that have come through that Dean Dome. And Roy Williams as a coach, uh, it's just such a great tradition. And for Duke to face off against an underrated UNC team at the number eight seed, actually, they weren't ranked most of the year. The Carahales were really underrated, I think, because of Hubert being a first-year coach, didn't know uh, the committee who does the weekly rankings, didn't know the direction of the team. I know they hit the skids at one point in January, um, losing, I believe, four or six. But they put it together after that Duke win, uh, after that Duke win over Duke and Cameron and you know, the, earlier uh, in March. And he, they pretty much coasted from there. Uh, winning, I believe, four, uh, 14 of the last 16 games, including the loss in the uh, ACC tournament. So what do you see about Coach K leaving behind in terms of, you know, what he's doing to hand over the program to John Shire? I, I think if if there's ever been a program, you know, I would equate it to when Popovich decides to retire. I think, you know, from, from a NBA perspective, I don't know that there will be another program that is as stable and set up. Of course, you can't replace the person, um, but the culture and, and the processes, everything that goes into what makes a team a team, especially when you've been there for as many years as, you know, Coach K had. And, and as I said, Popovich, when he decides to retire, I think, you know, I'm just excited to see what, um, Duke continues to do going forward. And I think they're in great hands with uh, how Coach K has has set them up for success. Yeah. Do you think Sean Shire could be like a next Tom Izzo, like how Izzo replaced Judd Heathcote at Michigan State and the tradition of w the winning culture that they have up there in, in Lansing? I do. I do because it's you're not bringing in, you know, uh, it's not a big change of, hey, someone totally – that doesn't know what Duke is or what it's about. You, you have that uh, natural DNA piece that, you know, a lot of young men as they're looking at where they're going to go play and wanting to play for Coach K, obviously it won't be the exact same, but I think as, as good as they could have done uh, for a successor and, and ensuring the success of that program, I definitely think, you know, they're set up for success and I, I don't see them not being able to continue to compete at a high level going forward. Right. Let's talk about the game real quick. The actual game was a thriller. I mean, from start to finish, I know the first half was kind of sloppy or helter-skelter, and there were some nerves, obviously, between both teams because the stage was so big in New Orleans there. But the second half was like a – it was like a, a, a Rocky versus Drago boxing fight. It, you know, it was just such a, a an amazing game. And you felt like as a basketball fan in general, it was almost like – a you, you just felt the chills of the ghosts of all the past greats from Duke, like uh, Leitner and Hurley and Hill and, uh, you know, Gene Evans and Mike Dominski and just, you know, Danny Ferry, J.J. Uh, Redick and, and the, you know, Jay Williams, all those guys, you know, Johnny Dawkins. They were, and, and also the names that I mentioned from UNC from years before, like Sam Perkins and, that I forgot to mention, and, uh, you know, J.R. Reed, they all came out the woodwork in, in, in sort of this ghostly fashion to really box it out with Coach K uh, and versus Hubert. And it was almost like, um, if you remember, any Duke-UNC game that was down at the wire, 
And when Caleb Love hit that shot for UNC, that top of the key three, that pretty much helped them coast. And when Puff Johnson came in and hit those two free throws to tie the game after uh, Armando Baycott went out with a, a, the, the knee injury, um, and, and he just he came back and the crowd roared as if he was like Willis Reed and, you know, in the 1970 NBA Finals, you know, against the Lakers. It was almost like th this was a, a story that exceeded expectations. You couldn't write a better story in terms of a college basketball game. It, it made – is this something that makes you feel confident about college basketball moving forward because of the, the uncertainty that we had a couple of years ago with all the recruiting scandals and, you know, the pandemic that – barred them from having fans and such. Do you feel like this is a game that could help relight the flame of college basketball after Coach K leaves? Oh, definitely. I think, uh, you know, personally, scandals, things of that nature, people need to act ethically and follow the rules that are there. But um, that stuff goes on, you know, all the time, I'm sure. Um, and so you get people that are, I would say, more casual fans that when they see those things, um, you know, get turned off by it. But, um, you know, I really think, especially with the strides we're making with how NCAA athletes are, are looked at, mm -hmm. that whole dynamic is changing. And so with G League and the impact the NBA is having and how they're working together, I think it's exciting. That That's a word I would describe. And especially coming out of the pandemic, it's it's definitely something that I think is going to continue to excite for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And you got the Blue Bloods going up against each other. North Carolina versus Kansas, their first time meeting in the final game since 1957. And I believe Dean Smith had just – no, actually it was Frank McGuire. He was the coach uh, at <laughs> back then. and. It was, you know, those two blue bloods. I think it was almost uh, like uh, it seems like a revisitation of Wilt Chamberlain, who actually played in that Kansas game against North Carolina, and Kansas won. Um, Kansas is a blue blood. And I heard Scott Pollard say that Kansas has been underrated all year. And I don't agree with that because Kansas has always been in the top 10 this season, I believe. I don't believe they've fallen out with their few losses. I always feel like Kansas gets a little bit more heft in the rankings because they are Kansas and they have a storied tradition and they have the Fog Allens and Roy Williams and, you know, Larry Brown, who led them to the title in 88 before he entered uh, the NBA as a coach. And so, you know, with Danny Manning and they have all these great players. I feel like Kansas was really the one who gets favored as a number one seed and they're not underrated. If anything, North Carolina was underrated this year as an eight seed. And they're the first eight seed to win, get to the title game since Villanova in 85, who actually won over Georgetown that year. I agree. I would agree. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think you said it well. I can't, I can't find a way to, you know, disagree with, with that, you know, thought process, honestly. Yeah. Right. Now let's talk about the UConn NC State game for women's. Now, oh. I was <laughs> double overtime classic. Okay. Yes. Now, now I'm a I'm a Connecticut guy because I was born and raised in that state. And something about UConn, they always find a way. Obviously, they lost in the title game to South Carolina on Sunday, but that double overtime game, it I was torn because Millennium alumnus Raina Perez was the point guard for NC State, and the camera kept zooming in on her at the end of regulation. Uh, or towards the end of regulation and into the end of the first overtime and into the second overtime. And it seemed everyone was wondering, is this going to be her last game as she's 
navigated the college basketball world as a six-year transfer, you know, including being a redshirt uh, after her one year at, you know, Northern Arizona. She's an, a, a Millennium alum at a good year. So I was really torn with the fact that this girl had a long journey literally across the country going from Millennium, and they have a, a, a girls' basketball dynasty in 5A if winning the past four which they yeah. got their fourth earlier this month. Shout out to the Lady Tigers. And she was their all-time leading scorer, as well as their all-time assist leader, steals leader. And those uh, latter two records were broken by Jasmine Singleton back in 2020 before she graduated to go to UNLV and transferred. But then Raina went from NAU over to Cal State Fullerton, was the conference player of the year, transferred and went to NC State in 2020 during the pandemic and led them to their second straight ACC title. I believe they had 33 in a row now. And then they have, uh, they, she led them to their first Elite Eight appearance since 1998. So I was basically rooting for UConn, but also wanted Reyna and the Wolfpack to extend it to a third overtime to make this game more of, of, of a mystique and just more classic than it already was. What was your take on watching this game? You know, I I just love basketball, right? And so uh, the, the passion that both the men and women play with is exciting, but to see the game go, not only go to the first overtime, but then the second, and then put yourself in their shoes, or in, in my case, the coach's shoes, um, of of how the excitement continues to build and the you know you know your career or your season is over if you don't get the win and and just how exciting that is to be a part of obviously emotions are high on either end depending on you winning or losing but um, that is just one of those as you said classic to just go back and watch um, and just you just appreciate uh, being able to experience that as a fan uh, it was just it was awesome yeah Raina. She's about what, 24, maybe 20. She graduated in 2015 from Millennium. So she's been in college basketball for a while. And I was really happy to see her represent Arizona high school girls basketball in the greatest stage ever against UConn in Bridgeport. And they couldn't have a better way to end off her career as a college player and upper draft stock over the WNBA, which is going to be later this month, actually. So I believe the, the draft is uh i believe it's next week it's always the week after the national championship ends so uh forgive me not knowing the date offhand uh and the next topic we're going to discuss is the suns and who is the biggest threat to them in the playoffs they're about to reach the 63 win mark if they beat the lakers and knock them out of the playing tournament on tuesday night at home which is very very befitting because they're in a two-game win streak. I mean, sorry, a two-game losing streak. Uh, they lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday. And on Friday, they lost to the Grizzlies. And they lost to a Ja Morant-less Grizzlies. They are 21-2 and two without Ja. What does that say about the Memphis Grizzlies and their pedigree heading into the playoffs as a number two seed with the second-best record in the NBA? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's you look across the West and, and no disrespect to the East, but just focus on, you know, what's in front of, of us and the Suns is there there is not an easy path to to the finals. And and there are many, many matchups that really will look good against the Suns. 
And, but here's the thing, if we, if we do our job, we're healthy and we execute, we're, we're going to be fine. The problem is everyone is aware of who we are and everyone wants to beat the Suns. And then when you're in the playoffs, everything from the regular season means nothing. So the past five years, the team that has the best record in the NBA hasn't made it past the conference finals. And so that's us this year. And so, you know, I'm not one to worry about all these random stats or numbers uh, that, that many people will throw out there because I'm a firm believer in, you know, you got to go out there and execute regardless of what any of that says. But Memphis to be doing, I mean, put it into Chris Paul figure. I think we were, what, 13 and two with Chris Paul out and Devin Booker in. And, you know, the Grizzlies, I don't, I don't know the exact figure, but it's, it's pretty scary and very similar to that, right? And that's without, you know, Jaws. So I think, you know, you can't say enough about uh, them and what they have done and what they have built and how exciting uh, of a matchup that would be. And so it, it's, it's, time to, it's time to buckle up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. big, we want to get that win and, and the table set as, as great as it can be. We, get to, we could do it at home uh, to set, you know, the franchise regular season win record. And we can do it by knocking out of the play-in and playoffs, uh, you know, the Lakers who we as Suns fans would, would love nothing more than to do that. So, and on Chris had bobblehead night. So, uh, Chris, <laughs> so you know, put all that together. Uh, it makes for an exciting Tuesday night uh, here in the Valley. Right. And of course the Lakers, they look at us as their little brother. They don't really look at us as a rival just as much as we look at them as a rival and our strong rivalry, I believe. I feel like it's been added to it because of last year when they lost in the first round and they thought that they could just toy with us in game three, just as LeBron did the laugh at Jay Crowder guarding him into the reverse layup. And then, you know, Devin suplexing Dennis Schroeder in that final 30 seconds, I guess, and then uh, beating them and, you know, doing Jay Crowder doing the salsa dance to imitate LeBron's, you know, commercial for Mountain Dew. I think Lakers fans are looking at Phoenix as, you know, green with envy because of what we have is, but they were supposed to have with four Hall of Famers, basically. And we have one Hall of Famer, Chris Paul. Devin is a future Hall of Famer and coming into his own. But basically, it's almost like the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Yankees did not look at the Yankees have always had the Red Sox as a rival, but when the Yankees were so dominant through 2003, the Yankees looked at the Red Sox as a little brother who didn't win for 86 years. And then 2004 happened with the game going from being up 3-0 and then losing game seven, having champagne ice for four games and then not being able to close them out. And that's when the Yankees faithful really started hating on the Red Sox and burying David uh, Ortiz's uh, jersey uh, as basically, uh, you know, in the new Yankee Stadium when that was built as a sign of hate for the Red Sox and such. And I feel like Lakers fans are starting to hate on the Suns, saying things like um, this whole narrative of if we had AD, we would have won. And it's like, well, you got to factor in AD, we probably have gotten hurt anyway. Anthony Davis always gets hurt. <laughs> and so they, they almost find this way to make themselves feel better and knowing that they they lost last year as an eighth seed when the Suns, uh, actually as a seventh seed, and the only seventh seed favored to beat a two seed into the playoffs as in the, with the odds in their favor, and they didn't do it. And then Suns went on their four-game run and closed them out in convincing fashion. So the thing about the Lakers is people want to see 
the Lakers in it so bad and everybody's trying to I look at the Lakers like Britney Spears in 2007. Everybody's just like, oh, we have to save the American princess. We have to save Britney. She's going on this drug binge. And, you know, like, uh, what do we do to save our, our our pop princess? And it's like, no, she's only can, the only thing she can do is save herself. <laughs> so, you know, the Lakers have to find a way to save themselves instead of the media trying to figure out how the Lakers – are not going to collapse and giving them a second chance when they have a 3% chance of getting into the playing game at this point. They need the Spurs and they need the Portland Trailblazers, who I believe are in the 10th and uh, they're on the, the, ninth, the, the ninth and 10th seeds, respectively. Um, and the, they, they basically, the Spurs are the 10th in this, in the, and the, the Portland Trailblazers are the ninth, and they need those teams to basically lose out their last four games of the regular season or three of the four and the Lakers need to win out uh, three of the last four in order to get in the play in game. And those other teams that just mentioned, those set teams have a 97 chance uh, percent chance of getting in the play in, whereas the Lakers do not have that. They have a 3%. So it's like basically give up now or forever hold your peace in the Lakers case. going to be exciting tomorrow. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I want us to handle that and, uh, you know, set history and just send them on their way. Right. Right. And, and especially Los Angeles of all places. They, but our next topic is about the coach of the year votes besides Monty Williams. I keep hearing Shaq and other people. I saw somebody else on NBA today, uh, the local Los Angeles reporter, because NBA today is – you know, based in Los Angeles, or and, and that's why they have Richard Jefferson on, is always flying up there. Uh, and, and Woj, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, their top uh, ESPN NBA reporter, uh, always who's reporting from LA, and David McManaman, you know, reporting on the Lakers. Uh, they uh, start talking about uh, discussing possibly coach of the year votes going to uh, Tyron Lou of the Clippers, who are 39 and 40, which I don't understand. They didn't have their top players, uh, Kawhi Leonard, and they just got Paul George back, who was playing well in his first couple of games back, but he missed most of the year to injury. So it's like they're talking about Tyron Lue being 39 and 40 over Monty Williams, or coach of the year. And Shaq said that last week, too, as Monty Williams is the favorite. So if they're to get this right, the writers' votes are to get this right, who should it go to besides Monty, possibly, if he's not a lock? To me, honestly, it would be Eric Spolstra. Right. Okay. I don't even, yeah, I, I don't even see – yeah, great job what he's done with, with the group he's had, Tyron Lue, but he's not even in my top five, uh, right. to be honest. And so, it, to me, if, if I'm – and I'm voting unbiasedly, of course, Monty Williams, so I I ignore Monty. I would say what he's done with the, the group he has in that conference is impressive. And, and the way that they battled through some of the adversity that they faced and uh, the lineup that they have, uh, to me, it, it speaks a lot to the coaching. And that's something that I value. So, to me, uh, you know, Eric would be two and uh, Monty one. Yeah, Eric Spolster is always in that conversation. I don't think Eric has ever really got 
enough consideration for coach of the year. Has he even won NBA coach of the year? I, I think thought he did one year. He yeah. did. It was okay. Yeah. So he got them to the finals in the bubble of 2020. So I wonder, was that the year that he won it? I, I can't remember offhand. Um, but for consideration besides Eric and Monty, I say Celtics, Ime Udoka, Grizzlies, Taylor Jenkins, Cavs, BJ Bickerstaff, and Sixers, Doc Rivers in that order. Now, the Sixers, they have had a lot of adversity because of the Ben Simmons thing. The Ben Simmons, uh, brouhaha from him dealing with mental health. He's filed a grievance over the weekend for the $20 million that they recouped and docked from his pay because he missed training camp and decided to sit out games and decided mental health is his reason why, because, you know, he basically did not get any comfort uh, from the team in Los Angeles where, his, where he lives in Calabasas during the offseason uh, after he refused to take uh, any attempts to take over in the fourth quarter against the Hawks in game seven in Philadelphia. And fans basically were like, oh, off with his head, how could he? But I'm like, you, you got Embiid. When you have a top player in Embiid and you have – a team that has been the number one team or one of the best teams in the East for several years, I feel like that could work against you as a second-year coach because this team was a playoff team before Doc got there. And I always see my the criteria for Coach of the Year is a team that was unexpected to rise above the rest of the pack and stayed the course from the bottom to the top for most of the season. Now, the Cavs have had great – players like Kevin Loves has had his second emergence late in his career. Um, and now they have Darius Garland, who became an all-star point guard um, or all-star guard. And then you have uh, the traded for Karis LeVert from Indiana. And then uh, you got the emergence of Jared Allen, who became an all-star as a reserve and Evan Mobley before he got hurt. Now, so they have a great nucleus of players and Lauren marketing. So they have a great nucleus of players and BJ Bickerstaff coming in there. And much credit also goes to um, Kobe Altman, the GM, for putting that whole cast together. And if anything, maybe Kobe Altman should get some consideration for executive of the year. If because the Cavs are right now in the, are, are in the sixth spot, there they are are right behind the Bulls uh, in in the sixth spot in the East. So the Grizzlies, Taylor Jenkins, though, for what he's done with John Morant as a pretty much a lock for all NBA first team and what he's done building around Ja and reviving that fan base you know, from the grind city era, about, you know, six years ago when they had, you know, Zach Randolph and Tony Allen and uh, that whole Lionel Hollins crew uh, that they, and Mark Gasol as their centerpiece, literally, they pretty much have revived that city as a basketball city when it was really a flyover city and state in Tennessee there. Um, but Ime Udoka, for where the Celtics are at, they're this top-heavy East, and they got teams in the top four that are pretty much, you know, you got the Heat at the top spot, and then you have, I believe, the Sixers, and then you have the Bucks, and then the, uh, the Celtics. Uh, the six, so you have the Heat, Celtics, Bucks, uh, uh, Sixers, and Bucks. And those other three underneath the Heat are within two and a half games out of the number one spot. So to have the Celtics rise like they have under a first-year coach, um, that's impressive to me in order to get coach of the year when he's a first-year guy in a team that was literally in flux 
in January and they pretty much didn't, they were only at 500, didn't know how to go from there. And many people were talking about they should trade away Jason Tatum and they should yeah. or, or, tra or trade away Jalen Brown because Tatum is really the guy. And there was basically saying that they can't mesh together. So yeah. that's a criteria really for coaches of the year to figure out how to get through the adversity, just like we saw with that little scrum uh, last week <laughs> with the with yeah. heat on the bench of Jimmy yep. Butler and Udonis Aslam, right? Those are the types of coaches that can sit, be, that need the votes. Imani Williams, obviously, for his historic season, he's the lock. But those are the other guys, in my opinion, that deserve it. Besides, you know, you know, and Doc Rivers. I just threw that name in there just as uh, something as a, as a you know one minor talking point. And what do you think about the so the, the final over under for this game tonight between the Kansas and North Carolina? Yeah, I think it's a close one. I, I do. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I see it being a, a two-point two point victory coming out of this. Okay. So the spread is basically four in favor of Kansas. And now the I, I believe UNC is going to pull it up because I'm a Tar Heel fan, and I think that they have the grind that basically to prove that not only can they beat Duke, but, you know, as a power – but Kansas has been a power all year, and UNC finds a way with these guys like Manic, the best shooting big man in the country at yeah. this point. Um, best at from three, and Caleb Love, and in uh, and, and guys like Baker. If he can hit a free throw down a the stretch, then maybe yeah. they have a chance, right? <laughs> Very true. Right. That's gonna be, that's that's why I said close. Uh, you know, the, the free throws are going to be huge. Yeah, and so Baker Igbaji, that's the matchup I'm looking for. Or, you know, Baker versus McCormick in the middle. That's going to be the key matchup that I'm looking forward to in this game because the bigs that, like, Baker had 11 points, 21 rebounds in that Duke-UNC game, which is phenomenal. I mean, he just dominated the glass. And even Coach K said to him after the game, when none of his players were willing to shake the North Carolina – players' hands and then, you know, on the way into the locker room. Oh, yeah. He said, I'll, I, 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 you were my vote for player of the year. He told that to Baker, which I felt was a classy move. Very, very much so. Speaks volumes, man. And, and Egbaji's a great player. And also, the, what an uh, Arizona connection for Kansas, Remy Martin, the emergence of Remy. Yes, yes. I mean, it just, you're an ASU oh, guy. I, mean, I know. That's how, does it make, how does it make you feel as Remy being – now shining on the stage of the Final Four and willing this team to the national championship where he was at ASU and couldn't even get them past the first round when he was their point guard for the four years he was there, and now he's a grad transfer over there. And I'm excited for him. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited for him. Yeah, you, you, can't, you, you can't be selfish, right? And he made the best decision for him and, uh, you know, obviously made the best of his opportunities, so – Wish him all the best and super excited for sure. Yeah. One thing I've noticed about Hurley is that he's very supportive of his former players. You see Hurley uh, at GCU games uh, rooting for, you know, some of his former yeah. players that transferred there. And yep. he was actually in New Orleans this weekend, you know, for the festivities to commemorate, yep. you know, his former, you know, Coach Krzyzewski of Duke. So I'm guessing that Hurley, Bobby Hurley definitely had a word with Remy Martin over there uh, when he was in the final four and just say, Hey, go get him kid. You know, this is what you wanted. This is where you should be. And he was basically 
you know, Remy Martin is where Hurley was for three of his four years in college. And you couldn't get him there at ASU, but Remy got himself there as a transfer to Kansas. And his draft stock is going to go up. And that's pretty much the reason why he went there in the first place. So kudos to Remy and Kansas uh, to, you know, getting that far. And I'm looking forward to the great game. And uh, we'll talk more on the episode six about the national championship, the Suns run uh, with their four games left uh, this week. April 10th being their last against the Kings on Sunday. And we'll discuss more then. Thanks for tuning in. And for Patrick Patillo, I'm Dana Scott. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.